Hello and welcome to Touchline from myself, Kasper Els, and Mark Cameron. Hello, Mark. Hi, Kas. Nice being back on air. Um, quite excited about tonight's topics that we're discussing, um, also with our astute coach that's in that's in studio with us, and obviously the player that can't wait to start speaking to us. Yes, our coach in the studio tonight again, Donald Nguenya. Donald's the coach's education supervisor for the Sharks, as well as the head coach for UKZN Varsity Shield. Hello, Donald. Hi, you guys. Hi, you Mark. Hi, Don. Welcome back. Thank you. And then also Marco Mare. Marco played for the Bulls under 19. He, play, he played his school rugby at Montana First Team. He played at the Mustangs Rugby Academy in Pretoria. He also played the Under-19 Curry Cup Pumas Final. He played Griqua's Under-20 Curry Cup, as well as Gold Cup Bloemfontein Police. He also played Free State Sevens. Hello, Marco. Hello, Gus. Hello, Mark. Hello, Donald. We are talking about the position of fullback, number 15, in the game of rugby. Donald, the question to you, the responsibility of a fullback in the game of rugby. How would you describe that? A couple of things for me. Uh, um, positional play is very important for me um, in defense and also attack. Um, he has to be able to um, couple that with the aerial skills because he has to defuse yes. all the bombs that are going to be kicked onto him uh, by flyers, by the scrum-offs. And um, he has to have a, a, a good game sense to be able to um, realize counter-attack opportunities so you can uh, yes. bring the ball back if, you know, the poor kicks from the opposition. Um, a good kicking game will be an advantage because um, he's the last man in defense. So if you're under pressure, you want to clear your lines. If he hasn't got guys back to help him counter-attack, so he will need to 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 kick it out and, and put the team on back onto the opposition half. Okay, yes. and then th these days a fullback has to be good defensively tackling. You know, defensively, he has to have a good understanding of of organizing his back three, or if it's a back two that the team is using, he's he's a main person there in organizing that. And and his tackle technique is just has to be spot on because it's mostly one on one tackles in that area. He hasn't got anyone else to help him. Yes, Marco, how would you describe it? My 15 position, I like to make it a running game. I don't like kicking, but if I must kick, I must kick. I will kick. I like running the ball, which is a positioning play. I like it. Communication with the two wings and support the two wings. The two wings must support me. Don, would you say, would you say your ideal 15 should be left and right footed or doesn't it really matter if it's an advantage if you can kick with both feet um which we, you would hardly get so if your if your 10 is 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 right footed it's an advantage to have a your 15 as a left footer for example because then he gives you that other option on the left similar side. to what we spoke last yes, week with andre yes, exactly yeah so if your fly-off is left-footed, then if he, then your your fullback if he's right-footed, that's that's an advantage. So you've got an alternative kick there. And there's just one more thing. You spoke earlier. You spoke about aerial advantage um, with your with your fullback to take the ball out of the air. <clears throat> A lot of that obviously has to do with your explosiveness to getting to the air to to read the ball when it comes down under pressure because opposition is chasing down. Has it changed slightly over the years with regards to your 15 taking a lot of aerial kicks? And I'm asking this because if you, and I'm not saying it wasn't like that previously, but if you have a look at, let's say, from the World Cup to today, um, taking account, obviously, COVID, uh, we didn't play for a few months, but if you look at the Bledisloe Cup that, that took place on the weekend, you'd see your nines kick quite a bit in the sense of box kicks. So obviously their targets are the wingers. Whereas in the olden days, maybe your 15 came into play more. 
Do you think that has changed over over the years for that specific reason? I think it's the it's the attacking team that has changed the you know we used to kick long then and straight to the fullback. Now uh, the attacking teams are kicking contestables, which is a shorter kick, where we they're also trying to regain the ball, and that's why now you see a lot of wing, more of the wings fielding the ball or 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 the ten who's back there. It's it's not that long kick that we that used to be uh, before. So so it would be then. Be comfortable in saying that in the past, possibly your your fifteens used to be big, tall guys. Where now it's not that necessary. Having saying that, I uh, said that uh, if you look at a Jason Colby, he's a short <laughs> character, yet he feels high balls quite comfortably. Um, and I'm asking that because most of the kicks nowadays, as we said now, are fielded by by your left or your right mm -hmm. wing, depending on where we are in the field. Whereas a player like Marco is a is a short guy um, that likes to attack like bigger guys too. It doesn't really make a difference. But your wingers, more often than not, are probably more under pressure given that it's a box kick or so forth compared to the olden days where the fullback was standing right at mm. the back and he had lots of time to field the ball. Yes. yes. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of fielding, it's, it's more about the ability of aerial skills more than height. You know, you can get some tall guys who are not very explosive to get up in the air, and they and they don't feel as well as a shorter guy. You know, it's the area skills, the explosiveness to get up in the air, and and obviously the technique of of catching that ball and understanding how to 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 get underneath it and get your hands up and you know and catch it. Um, so that's what for me that that's what really counts more than the physical stature of the player. So, so mm. would you also say that your reading of the game for a 15 um, is probably firstly more important obviously they're all important but you need to position yourself in a specific place on the field read the game look where the ball is who's going to kick possibly easy left footer or right footer obviously those analysis gets done quite a bit at the higher levels the higher you go but you can have a, a good aerial fullback but a fullback and you should probably not be playing there but a fullback that doesn't read the game well enough. So your 10, if he's, if he's on the ball, he would always try and find your 15 out of position. So you won't necessarily target the outside channels, but you'll target the fullback because he's possibly not in position. Definitely. Um, a 10 that reads the game always looks, he, look, he looks at pictures and sees where are the wings up. Is the fullback isolated? Where on the field is he? Uh, there must be space on the other side and he'll put it there. And if, they, if they've got good chasers, uh, then it, it's you know it, it, you we we've seen tries like that these days a kick through it's a try because the fullback is not in a position to cover that kick so it, 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 we, even when we talk about their ability to 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 run as well that becomes important because he has to be one of the fastest players because he's got to cover quite a bit of distance you know to chase that kick if he's a slow guy you, he's going to be found wanting so if you look at attack and you look at a guy like Marco now, and Marco, I'm going to ask you the same question as a player now. Um, but as a coach, Donald, if, if you look like at a guy like Marco and you know he's an attacking fullback in the sense of, as he said when he spoke just now, that he doesn't like kicking the ball and ask me, I've been there with him. So if you look at him like that and you had to select him and it's part of your game plan as to kick in certain areas of the game, right? Um, and I'll ask you the same question, Mark, if you can maybe answer after Coach Donald. Where would you prefer your fullback to be in our, when he's receiving now on your side of the field and he doesn't have to kick? Well, if um, it, for me, it, 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 I think it's a... I, I know Mark likes to run, it, he, he, but he's, he did also say that if he has to kick, he has to kick. It's a skill that a fullback would need because not every you're not going to be able to retain every everything that's kicked at you because um the defensive lines might be might be quite good you know your opposition might just have good chasing lines and good uh defensive lines and there's no opportunity to to counter attack then you don't have a choice you if if you don't have a, a good kicking game or any kicking game of any sort you 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 you'll be tackled and 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 they've gained territory and and you might even be turned over. So um, 
preferable, yes. I would like him to kick if we were in our 22. Yeah, we, we don't. Would that be regardless of where your opposition is? So if he receives it in the 22, then clear touch? No, no, not really. It depends on if he's got guys back to help him out and and depending on the chase line of the opposition. So if if he's in our 22 and they've got a poor chase line and he's got guys back, the wings are back, and maybe even the centres are back and there's an opportunity and space to counter-attack, for sure, we've got, we have to go for it. And irrespective of where we are, yeah. you know. But if if that is closed down and there's no space and there isn't and he hasn't got guys to help him out, he hasn't got a choice. But he has to get us out of trouble. So then, Marco, if I look at you as an attacking fullback, um, and I know New Zealand play like this as well. It's a mentality thing. As to mm. I think South Africa are different. Um, I think it's changed over the years, maybe uh, more so in the last year since Rashi has been in there. And I'm saying this because if you look at New Zealand, their first mindset is to attack, whereas South Africa's first mindset is to play safe. Um, and if you look at you, Michael, then obviously you fall in the New Zealand category side of it, um, where we say attack first and then look. What makes you decide whether you want to attack other than gut feel, obviously, because that's an automatic thing that's within you, um, but what makes you decide now is the time for you to attack and not kick. I think it's happened to me quite a lot. Um, if if I'm alone at the back, there's one or two guys come and defend me. Then I would rather kick or attack, but I will see the lines that are coming to me. So then I will decide kick or not. Uh, one guy, I will never kick. <laughs> I will never kick if there's one defender on me. Um, 22 or before the um, in front of the half. In a 22, I won't kick if there's one defender. Um, I like I like the spacing at the back. That's why I prefer 15. I like space. I like running. I don't like kick. But like I said, if I have to kick three or four defenders or maybe two, the lines that are coming to me, then I will then I will kick. But one, I won't kick. Like says Don, would you like to have a player like that in your side? <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a risky play, but uh, yeah, it, 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 like I said, if you assess what's in front of you, and you make the decision out of that, so, yeah. so if he pulls it off, class. good. Yeah, so, okay. so just to say yeah. now, if you look at and and we're joking, obviously the way we're talking about it, but in in reality, if you're in a crunch game, um, sometimes it works for you, and sometimes obviously doesn't you see that at international level but if you've got an attacking mindset even as a coach because that's part of your game plan obviously and you have a guy like marco in the back where let's say safety isn't the first choice okay because he likes to attack surely as a coach and he's a very good player surely as a coach then you would play around that to make sure your call it them wingers then if you want to fall back quick enough because you know First priority is to attack. Is that would you would you plan around that? Yeah, what I'll say, um, we'll have a um, a kick counter policy that we follow. You know, so if the opposition kick to us, what are the things that we're looking for to be able to counter attack? So he's got to go through that checklist that we would have practiced. It, you know, like have they good have they got good chase lines? Um, do we have guys back? Um, where is the space and is there space uh, so he, he, he will have that in his head because it's something that you would have trained and, and there's a policy that you follow or a process if I may put it that way a kick counter process that you you, 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 you you follow as a team okay but if if then that is not there safety has to be <laughs> has I must say I think Marco yeah. will fit into your teams because I've played against you and your guys don't kick off and either they <laughs> like to run <laughs> yeah. when we spoke about the wingers we spoke about the back three and and that's basically what what Mark is now referring to your wingers now coming into play to support your fullback in in your fullback's strength Marco says his strength is strength is to to attack and to try and get the ball forward. Um, would you say then your your back three then 
comes more into play? Yes, definitely. Um, your wings and your centers, they they become quite a big part of your counter-attack strategy. You know, so they, they need to help him out. He cannot do it on his own. Counter-attack is not an individual thing anymore like it used, yes. you know, in the old days you could just... It relied on individual brilliance. Now it's a it's a team strategy, like I said. So the the things that you look for as a team that okay. So if we have this in place, your 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 wing is coming back, your centre is coming back, and and the options that are so obviously are you'll have a, a similar strategy for your your wingers then a checklist then if we can call it a checklist that your wingers will go through to see if that ball goes up, what marker is going to do? Is he going to play the ball? Is he going to is he going to go forward for them to know to fall back and fall behind him and and support? Exactly. So everyone understand that strategy. That if it's this way, it, for it, for example, if it's a you identify like a poor kick. Okay, so the opposition kicks a, a poor kick to the fullback, and he's got time, he's got space, and we we we've got time to get back, and we got numbers, yes. and then then the call is made. You have a certain call that okay, yeah, boys, yeah, we're gonna go. This is yes. yeah. We we we've got time and space to do this, okay. So if 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 there isn't time, the fullback will will make a call for okay. We we're clearing the lines here. We don't have time and space. We're gonna get we're gonna get it out. So we, I need guys to chase here instead in case I don't kick it so well yes. as well. So that's that. That those are the cues that you have in, in in your strategy. But I think if you have a player like Marco that plays in your side that you know. Call it ninety percent of the time won't kick. That keeps your players on their toes to know that they have to fall back. Sometimes they ball watch and they watch mm -hmm. the ball go and they stand. Now you know you got someone nine out of ten times that was going to run back. Yeah. So you have to mm -hmm. make sure you go back. The modern game has also changed quite a bit where your wingers don't necessarily fall back because they're in your defensive line. So yeah. you probably yeah. have ten at the back with him. So you will have two options um, as to attack. So your chances in the olden days, or now as well, depending on your on your game plan that you play. I mean, some coaches don't have a two two man at the back. They still have the old the old way of doing it. Your center still drop back and so forth. Um, but what you find a lot of times is more often than not, when the opposition kick, their chase line isn't that great. Sometimes even in international rugby, you see a let's say a Pollard kicking the ball up. And the box chase line isn't good. New Zealand are masters at this, where they attack the space and then they decide. I mean, they might pass it left, right, and wherever the case, but then they decide whether they're going to kick. Mm -hmm. Because the space in between your ball receiver and your ball kicker sometimes is 20-odd meters. That is a space in between. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of room to close the space even before you kick. Because sometimes in the olden days with South African teams, the fullback used to get the ball immediately. First option is to kick. So when you receive it and you catch it, and let's say you run two meters and then you kick it, their line probably gained five meters on you or whatever. So, I mean, all that space is all there to close. So in theory, when you kick it, you haven't won, mm -hmm. won any meters or anything mm -hmm. like that. So what you say that the the olden game or the the old way of thinking that in your 22 you play exit plan and get it over and done with. You get yourself out of your 22 and if possible, across the the halfway line, that's that's, that's no more. That's you, how it works. But uh, mm -hmm. they, there's so much analysis going on nowadays. Mm -hmm. So so a good ten for arguments, and I'm using ten to receive the ball from a nine as exit play. Doesn't mm -hmm. have to be your ten because you sometimes you see them passing to twelve, and they're kicking to the other side of the field. So a lot of that, and not going into detail. Coach will will speak about that. But a lot of times you have a look at where your fifteen and your wingers are standing. Um, to kick cross field for argument's sake, if that if that if your fullback is let's say you are on the left hand side of the field, and your the the opposition's left wing is flat, and your fullback is maybe midfield or favouring your left hand side of the field, obviously the space then is be behind eleven to the opposite side. So then you will not necessarily take the ball up and try and do a box kick or whatever, they'll actually chase into that specific space because that's where the space is. Yes. So it just depends and that's why you, you know, you, you if we play club rugby, it might not be as easy as international rugby in the sense of doing your analysis because, but that's where your 10 or your exit is, 
need to be open-minded to see where the opposition is standing because they, uh, most space in a, in a rugby game is behind the players, more so if you're in your 22 because everyone is up. So if you can exploit that, that's why you find as well if your wingers drop too far back and you can manipulate your space, a lot of teams don't even kick. They see your, your wingers up and that's where they maybe two passes into that space and they recycle from there. So it's very tactical and technical um, but I think if your if your tens are or your exit players are vigilant of what's going on in front of yes. them, they can actually manipulate it to favour themselves. Okay. M maybe I can add on to that, Alcas. Um, what you need to understand, if we're talking about a counter attack strategy, for example, so if say because if, if we're defending and and most of us we got a full line of thirteen up, okay, yes. and we got a full back maybe in the ten at the back. Yes. Okay, and the opposition, um, they've been trying to get through and they can't. They realize, okay, now we need to kick. So they kick, and it's a it's a bad kick. So the strategy that we would use is, so we we got a, in, in coming back, we've got the edge teams. So the guys at the edge, those yes. guys run as fast as they can, as hard as they can to beat their, the, 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 the chasers. They must win the race over the chasers to get back to help the full, the guys at the back, your back yes. too. Yeah. You understand? The yes. guys in the middle stay with the opposition to sort of escort them back so that they create that opportunity for the fullback to counterattack. Do you, you understand? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so when when they when when the guys at the back now receive the ball because the guys in the middle stay with the opposition, they don't they don't leave the opposition, they escort them back kind of. Yes. So that now you're finding your two players maybe uh, are running in line with the opposition. Then your fullback just runs at your players and they open the space for him and he goes through. That's how uh, you create your, your, yes. your, your counter-attack opportunity, you understand? Yes. But the guys at the edge need to really, they have to motor. They have to go to go and help at the back. They must beat the opposition to get back there. But sometimes yeah. it's quite interesting, you know, if you... A lot of coaches are, are quite on the ball and they do the analysis and whatever, but sometimes the opposition can manipulate space for you to play in that specific area because they might they might pick up that your that your follow up isn't as poor or whatever the case might be. So they yes. leave space for you to attack and they know your your whole team for argument's sake, like in primary school, they migrate towards the breakdown, so you're going to have space on the opposite side. So if they can win that battle and get turnover ball, two passes for argument's sake to the opposite wing, and they come through and score. So, so there's it's like a it's like a, a chess game at the end of the day. Yes. Some of your top yes. coaches in the world will play, and they know they're not going to be successful, um, but they try and manipulate it for when you make a mistake. The players will already know this is where we're going. That's what's happening. Patience, patience, patience until the opposition team make a mistake and that's exactly the same space where they will counter into. But they would have manipulated it for them to gain. Yes. You agree, Marco? Um, I think I will change the the part of when you have to kick, when you don't have to kick. If they kick the ball, your two wings is not with you. So then the first thing I look at uh, before I catch the ball, where's the gaps already? So when I catch the ball, I already know where's the gaps. Is there gaps or not? The second thing I look at, where the, the two wingers and the fullback is. If they are out of position, I'm going to kick for a winning field. So it is important for the wingers to fullback the opposite side. But the thing is, the positive thing for me, I can, I can kick left and right. 90% of the time, they won't kick me out of position. Mm. So they can kick on the left-hand side, I can kick right. Right-hand side, I can kick left. So that is for me, for my side, positive. So, yeah, like I said, I don't like kicking. <laughs> but, yeah. No, but it is. It's, it's, you spoke to, well, it's, it, it's a good to hear because mm. you don't find that often mm. where you have a fullback that is, that that is left and right. Yeah. Foot, you know, yeah. so it's an advantage. Which is, yeah. which is good. Now, now, on that point... What would you say is the physical attributes that you would look at for a fullback? Pace, you need speed, you need explosiveness. Because yes. like I said, he's got quite a bit of distance to cover. Yes. Okay, he doesn't necessarily need to be your big, you know, uh, tall, yes. big, 
Um, I mean, look at Damien McKenzie. He's yes. one of the best uh, counter-attack fullbacks you can ever get. Quick feet. You know, yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's explosive. He's got yeah. good feet. He, he, he's got good game sense. As Marco said, he, he can identify where the space is and he can attack into those spaces. So he's not a really tall fullback. But then you get your Jordi Barrett. On the other hand, he's quite a tall guy. Yes. You know, he's good aerial. He's yes. got a nice boot on him. So physical. It, yeah, he's physical. So you 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 can use either or, it, depending yes. on how you want to play. But even McKenzie, I mean, McKenzie is similar stature to, to Marco now, for argument's sake. Um, but he too doesn't like kicking. But that is a New Zealand trend, though. Mm. They don't like kicking the ball because they know when they kick, they give the opposition the ball. And the New Zealanders are more lethal at turnover when you're kicking at them. That's why they attack, and they are master manipulators of space. Um, so where, where the box, the box back themselves by doing proper box kicks, and because we know our aerial skills are good, and if we can get ball in hand. So it's changed over the years where we've where we sent a few guys to migrate towards the ball. Now we know our aerial skills are good, so we only need a chaser and maybe one. And the rest of the guys line up because the All Blacks, on turnover ball, they would create space on the outside. But they've got such skills, their their players and their running lines are so good, they can create space in turnover ball in midfield, out wide, doesn't matter mm -hmm. where. But Damien McKenzie himself, and and Don mentioned that now, he's one of the prime classic examples of a small fullback that loves attacking and his feet and his game management and his reading ability is exceptional. So is that one of the attributes that you would look at, Mok? I think is so because, you know, I think the game obviously isn't played at the back. So that that specific person, and we always say you need to look for work and, and so forth, but you need to make sure that you look for work at the right time because if it's turnover ball, then... You've obviously got a problem at the back. Um, I think your 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 fullback is one of the key positions specific on a field because firstly, on defence is your last line of defence. So it has to be someone that is quick enough to catch the opposition depending on where they go. Firstly, his, his positional play has to be great because if you're out of position, a top fly-off would, would always catch you out of position. It's as easy as that. Um, but in attack, I think is also vital. So you look at a guy like Damian McKenzie, you look at a guy like Damian Willemser, they can both play 10, they can both play fullback. And that is, uh, that is the importance of, of getting that guy. If your 10 is out of position, your 15 can slot in there because he thinks on his feet, he's got good vision, good communication skills. As a 15, you have to have that. Yes. Slightly different to, to depending on your game plan where you have to push your wingers up or get them back or so forth, more so if you've only got two guys at the back. But everyone needs to know where they are at and, and communication skill for that specific guy is similar to your, fifth, uh, to your 10. So if we can sum that up, then your 15 should be somebody that's quick. He should have the, the aerial skills to secure the ball. Um, he should be able, if possible, able to kick with both feet. <laughs> both feet both feet, and he should be able to read the game. Definitely. I think reading, look, the game has changed so much. You can look at your number one prop to number 15. They must all read it. And it's changed so much. Yeah. The skill levels have changed over the years and that. But um, I don't want to, we're talking 15 now, but I don't want to say that he's the vital person. But he is vital for a team to progress to wherever you want to go to because a lot relies on him. He has no mates next to him to make a decision for him at the back. He's on his own. He is the one that needs to get his team on the front foot when they kick behind. So um, a lot of, I think the players need to trust the fullback as well because if they don't trust him, then... So if we hmm. talk about the perfect fullback, we talk about Andre Hubert. He can kick, he can run, he can, he can go yeah. fetch the ball, he um, can... The Rolls Royce of fullbacks, as they mm. as they used to call him, um, he he was he was good. Uh, you know, he mm. was he was one of your bigger fullbacks. Now yet again, he was. Yeah. He was a good left footer, very, very physical as well. Um, mm. Yeah, but you know, if you look at 
he thrived on space. And if you could give him space, he was lethal. He, his running lines were good. Um, and I say this with respect, but you can't compare him to a Damien McKenzie, no. where Damien McKenzie will create his own space, similar to Cheslin Colby, because they got quick feet and, and that. You don't need to create space for them to yeah. make something happen. I mean, if you look at if you look at Cheslin Colby, I mean, he started at, at the at Stormers full. at fullback. Um, space was good for him, but you look at him now on the wing, you do not need to give him space. He will create space yes. for everyone else. The thing is with a player like that, like we said with Markana, if you know that your fullback doesn't kick, your, the rest of your team needs to fall back to support him. So when he goes into space, he will automatically then suck in two or three defenders. So you need to be next to him for him to offload and that. Otherwise, he will die with the ball. And not always would that be his fault because the people don't follow mm. up. Yes. Let's not forget also um, his um, joining the line and, and assisting in attack. Yes. That's a very look at Apelele Fassi. He's yes. very, quite and good he at it. He needs to lead it as to yeah, when to do it. You know, when yes. to come into that line and just inject that extra pace into 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 your attack. Yeah, remember Christian Cullen from yes. the over how good yes. was he yeah. in in that so and the thing is for that uh, you know you you go onto a training field and you can train it as much as you want to every game is different so you can you can put opposition in front of you tomorrow we play wales for argument's sake their position is slightly different to england so your players need to read what is in front of them obviously the analysis would have been done as to who's good off the left foot and who's good off the right foot and how do they keep the ball in hand when they run so all those little things make a big difference at the end of the day. But your linking is important and your timing of your run. That's why when you do a backline move for argument's sake, just to put it into perspective, on a training field, it works nine out of ten times because you've got no opposition in front of you. There's no pressure in front of you. When you do it in a game and it works, you will hear the commentator say that's a, that's a, a training field exercise that they've mm -hmm. done over and over and over. But you might see it work once. Sometimes it doesn't work because the opposition is different. The angles are different. You never know yes. what to do. Thank you. Then we move on to the Varacom Super Rugby. Emirates Lions 23, DHL Storm is 17. Pakisa Pumas 27, Tafelaga Griquas 21. Iota Cheetahs 19, Varacom Blue Bulls 17. Donald, your thoughts on these games? I'm I'm still very much impressed with the cheaters. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. the way they play. Yeah, that um, um, I think that team has got a a, a, po a point to prove, and they're playing good rugby. Yes. Yeah, and I, I like the way they attack. Um, obviously, it wasn't as, as a spectacle because as it was the previous week when they played the Pumas. Um, against the Bulls because the Bulls is much better organized. But yeah. still, I mean, um, you could see their intent. You could see what they, they, they wanted to achieve out of that game and what they were, the opportunities that they were trying to create. Yes. To their team that likes to play wide to wide, create space and get those fast guys into, which is entertaining to watch. Um, yeah, they, for me, I think they've got, they still got a, something yes. to say in this competition. Yes. Mark, I just want to ask you something quickly. Last week we spoke about Dwayne Vermeulen not being being on the park and that's why the Bulls didn't do as well as they should have done. And now with him on the park and playing in this game, this cheetah still did it. Yeah, look, we spoke we spoke in the same time last week that we spoke about some of the other teams with with quite a few Springboks in their side. The Bulls was one of them, the way Jake White brought a few guys back yes. to South Africa, they were more experienced guys. Um, I think that part of, I won't say it's a problem because it's professional sport and everyone knows what to do and where to go. I think the cheetah side is a side that is riding the wave at the moment. They are a very positive side. They know their direction. I know there's talks of them. Obviously, they're out of the Pro 14. Yes. But there's talks of them looking at going to USA and to, to Russia to play there. But their focus currently to prove a point as we spoke about and Don said earlier yes. um, I think they are well balanced side I think the, the as we spoke two or three weeks ago as well we said don't read too much into pre-season because that's why it's pre-season the Bulls 
played the preseason against the Sharks and they outplayed us, to be fair. Yes. But I think, I won't say that's where it stopped, but I think that's where a lot of the, the emphasis was and where they focused as players. Now you look at a side like the Cheetahs, that's a well-balanced side and they had good forwards, they have brilliant backline players, they have a, proof, uh, a point to prove at the end of the day. Um, but I just think that the, the physical game on, on Saturday, the Cheetahs brought to, to the Bulls as well, that was a very physical encounter. Whereas the Bulls, the, I mean, they're renowned for their physicality. They're renowned in the olden day more so of their 10-man rugby that they played. Mornay Stein kicked quite a bit again on, mm -hmm. on, on Saturday. And I think that um, the Cheetahs were, were ready for it. And, and I mean, their counter-attack was good. And yes, Donald is 100% correct. If you look at the Bulls, their defensive lines and that, I mean, that's why they, they have one of the better coaches in, in, in world rugby there by them that has brought something different to it and all good for South African rugby. Um, but as uh, Nas Buerta said years ago, the Curry Cup isn't won in April, I think he said. We are now in October, so it's not won yet. If you look at the Sharks, the Sharks had a bye. Maybe it was a bad timing bye as well after only one round. Um, and we're going to speak about the Stormers and, and all of them now as well. Um, and I think there's a few teams that surprised again this weekend. Definitely. And the other two games, Emirates Lions versus DHL Stormers? Yeah, um, I, I, was quite, I was quite impressed with the, with the Lions, to be honest, in that game. I thought they were the better team, considering yes. what the Stormers had in terms of, 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 of the players. Yes. I mean... We 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 talking about a, a Springbok front row. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. yeah. I, I, for me, at the moment, the 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 player that's really playing well at at the Stormers is Kitsov. Yeah, he's he's one who's standing out for me. The others haven't um, come through as yet. I think they still get trying to find their form or they get into to their form. He's 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 the one that's standing out each game. If you look at from. Uh, that super fan game and you go to that green and gold game and he's been consistent yes, yeah been. the other guys for me have, have been up and down so i think for what they have the stormers i I've, i thought they should basically run over the lines if you look if you look at the pack that they've got yes but the lions had a lot to say in that game and and they were they, very they competitive did. and and yeah this they, they were very much in the game and i thought it could have gone um you know, you know, either way, but uh, they, they, it should have, you know, an easy walkover uh, using that pack. I mean, their locks are quite massive. JD Shikling is a, yeah. yeah, you know, and they, they've got, you got Augustus, who's a good ball carrier at the back of the of the scrum as well. But I, I didn't see much of that physicality from them, you know, uh, in that game or, Maybe maybe just the Lions defended very well. <laughs> it could be that. Uh, maybe um, they did. Yeah. But sure. I think it was also Stormer's mm. decision-making at, at crucial mm. times weren't quite where it's supposed to be. Yeah, look, I think if you if you look at the start of the game, I mean, the Lions were all over the Stormers. Definitely. Um, mm. and, it, and it speaks volumes for the Stormers not playing in the first round because a lot of their players obviously would have played in the Super Fan Saturday. The following week, yes, many of them did play, but not mm -hmm. the whole side, played in the green versus gold. And then, obviously, the week after that, um, they didn't play in the first round of the Curry yes. Cup. So some of them had like a three-week bye. And it's not an excuse, really, um, because a lot of teams have gone through that. But their defensive patterns were, were great in the beginning. And, and had the Lions scored, um, it might have been a different ball game. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. At scrum time and there were certain facets in the game and parts of the game where the Stormers should have been supreme and they mm. weren't. Um, Yankees had a had a good game again, I think, for the Lions. Mm. Um, and their setup is good. They, look, they've also got a young side. Um, I think some of them, you know, the Krill was, was over-eager here and there, gave away the odd silly penalty. Mm. Um, and then you look at the Stormers again, they were in the game the whole time, and yeah, you're lucky. You are right. I think they were fortunate to win. I think the, the mm -hmm. better team on the day was definitely the, the Lions. Lions, and it's sad for them because they've now had two losses, and it now becomes a psychological mm -hmm. thing possibly going forward. But what I'm what I was thankful about is on the Stormer side, is that Damien Willemser 
um, had a had a decent game at ten, which is which is great for yes. South African rugby. I know Dobson said before the game they interviewed him and he said if he had his way he, he wished that Damien would become man of the match just to silence mm. his critics <laughs> or whatever you know. But I mean he he, he wasn't great, but he was mm. a lot better than he was previously. And I mean he's still a youngster. I think he's twenty two. Yes. So there's mm. there's a lot of pressure on him to have to perform because he knows he should be one of the form tens. Obviously, the Jacques Ninabas and the and the Rashi Erasmuses of this world is looking at him. Um, they might favour him at fullback. That's true, but we need we need we need tens up front. So, but I think that game was probably the the game of the of the weekend. Definitely. And then the two the two minnows, the Pumas and the Griquas, they actually went. It went quite well. It was a good contest. It was yes, a good contest. Yeah, it was a good contest. I think surprising it, yeah. a couple of people, um, everybody almost expecting the Griquas to, to beat the Pumas. Yeah, I think more, more mm. so at home. You know, when, when Griquas play at home, they're a different kettle of fish. Yes. Mm. Um, but, I mean, it was stop-start for both teams, mm. and I think the one got the upper hand and then the other one. But testament to typical Puma rugby of years gone by now, they don't give up. Yeah. And they, they kept on out, fighting, yeah. they mm. kept on fighting because they a mm. team that, that believe and I think Jimmy Stonehouse Jimmy Stonehouse has done wonders with that team over the years. You know, they are like Rikwas, they are one of the feeder feeder provinces for the bigger unions. Yes. Mm. Um and yet again there were there were guys there on Saturday that, that put up their hands that, that okay. can play rugby. And all credit to Scott Matty, a Durban boy that coaches mm. Rikwas. Yeah, yes, well. Definitely. Hey, we're not forgetting um, Albert van der Berg. As well. He's yes. there as the forwards mm. coach. So. Mm. Another one. Then the news that the Springboks has now withdrawn from the Castle Lager Rugby Championship. I think it's sad from a supporter's point of view. Definitely. Yes. We would have loved to see the world champions play in it. And, and I think from... The New Zealanders, the Aussies, and and the Argentinians, I think for them it's also sad not to have us play. Yes, definitely. Um, but one needs to take emotion out of it. I think the right call was made at the end of the day. Yes. Uh, we spoke previously to to say, uh, are you looking at injuries? Yes. You can you can carry on. Um, all that you need to do is have a look at the intensity and the work rate of the players in the Bledisloe Cup between New Zealand and Australia. Yes. And you, I know it's different because when you put internationals together, obviously the tempo goes up, um, so on and so forth, and the box would play for each other. But if you have a look at, at that specific game on the weekend and you compare it to our Curry Cup, um, which is now the second week in running, I think they would have annihilated us, to be honest, um, and probably putting it mildly because I think we are not at a level where we can play at international level currently. There's something that I heard that Rassi mentioned that you need at least 400 minutes of play at yes. super rugby level to be able to go into one of these Correct. test matches. And and I mean, none of our players had 400 yeah. minutes of, of playing. I mean, you can look anywhere and, and Donald will come in here with his with his uh, varsity side, Yukazer and Impi. Um, and when I was there a few years ago, the same thing happened and more or less this time of the year that, that the, the most most of the training took place because we then we used to start I think end of Jan end of February, February March, yeah. mm. um, but you need a lot of training time, you know, not just fitness and so forth. I mean, if you look at New Zealand, they went to, and Australia, they went through a co campaign like we're going through now with the Curry Cup, where they played Super Rugby. Um, they have they have already other than this weekend that passed, the previous week they already played Test match rugby. We've only played not all our teams even. We've only played two curry cup two curry cup games, you mm -hmm. know. So from a from a fitness point of view, it's one thing being running fit and and but you need to be contact fit, mm -hmm. and your intensity levels yes. need to need to up. And then you still got the physical international grunt that you have when the tackles are made or you're in a breakdown or whatever. And and I say this with respect. I mean, I'm one that is disappointed to be that we didn't go. Because I'd love to see our guys playing, and I know a lot of South Africans would sit on the same side. But from a coaching point of view, if I had to look, if I was a coach, I wouldn't want to go either. Because as it is, you're world number one. The pressure is there that you have to perform. Ultimately, we lost, they said, about 300 million because we didn't go. 
but ultimately our player welfare is more important Definitely. because there's a bigger picture to to the championship and that's the british and irish lines that are that are coming yes. next year so it is sad but i think ultimately mm. the right decision definitely i agree um we did discuss it and and, yes. we, and we said it, it 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 will be the right call to make and considering that also if what people don't really put in mind is that we we stayed seven months without any rugby new zealand and australia had a month or two maximum yes you know and then they got back and they played a whole seven six eight weeks of rugby you know so if you look at the gap that we took our players just doing their own training which i think mostly was gym stuff and maybe a bit of running on their own you know that's what basically they did in that lockdown that long lockdown that we had when those guys were already in in competition so to to put our to put the springboks against those guys would have been asking for too much even really. even if you go as far back as looking at when new zealand mm. played their north versus south which was their trials yes. and we played green and gold which technically mm. was our trials having said that a lot of our first choice players obviously play overseas so they weren't part of the trials but if you had to compare new zealand playing north versus south and our green versus gold if you look at the tempo of that game the physicality of that game you couldn't even compare that to the new zealand new zealanders so yeah but just just remember now they played it after their super that's what we're yeah. saying now so your that game time alone yes. i mean and and a lot of your fitness and you do your fitness off season fair enough but a lot of your fitness is gained in the first two three weeks of a competition mm. Um, that's where your skill levels come in. Your players start getting used to each other again. And Donald is 100% correct. I mean, we lost so many months of that. And, you know, it affects players mentally as well, not only physically, and it's a mental approach. Well. So mm -hmm. our, our Springboks will always be ready from a mental side because that's what we do, and we know we're world number one. But it does affect you knowing that we haven't played. And like everyone else, the coach can say whatever he wants. Players listen to the media. They look at what's going on. The Springbok players will know that they're not ready to go. Guaranteed. No, they definitely know that. Mm. They definitely know. Then something else that happened during the course of the week is that club and schools rugby can now return to train, although it hasn't been finalised and, and confirmed finally yet. But the talks are there that we can now return to, to train. Donald, your thoughts on that one? Yes, uh, um, it's something that we've been waiting for, haven't we? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Uh, um, we were waiting for SA Rugby to to send out the the, the message that um, you know uh, amateur rugby basically can now go back into in, into training. So, which is good for clubs and schools, but obviously there are certain protocols that need to be followed. There's a return to play uh, sequence that needs to be followed. Yes. So, no contact for. Just what we were discussing about the Springboks, so you can't just rush players into yes. having set out for such a long time, as well. Um, I mean, our school players and, and 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 club players, they haven't, they also haven't played or been in training for say, now eight months, we would say for them. So there's there's there has to be a gradual uh, return to play protocol that must be followed to get them back into into the right fitness, into the right. Uh, physicality to be able to to play the game and i think for for coaches like mark now that coaches clubs even mm. even worse than than for professionals because a lot of those players would have done absolutely nothing, nothing during exactly. this lockdown so mm. you're going to bring them from ground zero yeah definitely look there there, there are a few obviously worldwide that uh, are natural guys that go to the gym that make sure they yes. physically sound but you do have the other ones that that prefer to be pushed um, and you need to be on top of them to do certain things. But regardless, even those guys in the last seven to eight months that have gone to the gym, that have done certain things, they are possibly gym fit, but they're not rugby fit. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things. I mean, even in the beginning when you get back now, you won't necessarily take out, well, I won't as a coach, take out contact shields and all of that. There's other things that you will work on, the fitness and the skills maybe and so forth before that happens. But that is still part of the protocol so i mean that's that's still in the future you know so um but it i think it's even worse donald than pre-season rugby mm -hmm. because pre-season rugby we would have been off call it two months or whatever yeah. it is and then mm -hmm. starts we are now starting some of these guys 
Um, and you could see that with, uh, without mentioning names now, you could see that with some of our professional players, and, and we spoke about one a week or two ago, um, that's from the south, you could actually see that they've gained weight. Mm. You know, so, I mean, that's at a professional level you where can, you yeah. must be at a specific level. At club level, I mean, you talk Premier Division, you talk First Division, you talk Third Division. I mean, those guys are worse off than, than others. And some, you know, some areas of ours don't even have facilities to do, to do certain things. So you don't have that opportunity either. Yes. Mm. For me, the challenge, though, is going to be, um, even though the go-ahead has been given now, we're not playing until next year. Yes. You see, yes. amateur rugby can only play until next year. Yeah. So this is going to be a really long yeah. off-season. And, uh, and uh, how many of those club <laughs> players are actually going to come to training? Exactly. Yeah. How do you get them? How do you, you see, entice so them to come to, if yeah, they that's know where the challenge they're is, only going to yeah. play after December, after mm. the December holidays? Mm. Look, I think if if we just look at the Mamsam Toti Rugby Club, um, there's a there's a few players that are quite keen to come back. And obviously, we're just waiting for, for the go-ahead from from the union to say we can start. Um, but you will have those that, you know, you still have COVID going on. So yes. one, one has to still, even though Sari says we're allowed to train, we still have to take into consideration players who might be married. I mean, they, their wives might not want them to go to training because of they've got kids oh. and whatever. So mm-hmm. you still need to respect that. Um, I think it's important from a mindset point of view to to make everyone understand that, you will follow the protocols and everything would be fine. But those ones that if, if they don't come to training, I don't think one necessarily needs to force them to do that. Although they need to understand if they're part of your first team mix for argument's sake, they need to be part of something for us to progress. Because if you do it, and Donald is saying this 100% uh, to say it's going to be a long, very long preseason. Yes. A difference this year would be that your fitness levels will be up quicker than, than it would have been mm-hmm. in the past, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then it gives you time to develop your skills and your game plan, where in the past, um, we start in January, f- and players might only start arriving at your club end of February, mid-March, because they don't like preseason. Then you start with game plan and mm-hmm. all of that, and some of your and bigger really clubs mm-hmm. are well in advance where you yes. are. I think this will possibly level that playing field where your game plan and your structures and that would, would be in place sooner than it would have been, let's say, in the beginning of this year. Yes. Then the, the rugby employers elected their first woman executive member. The body that represent the employers of the South African professional rugby players elected Vera Mani, uh, Southern West, Southwestern District CEO as the first female executive committee member at its annual meeting. And with this, our own Edward Kutsia, the Shark CEO, is also elected to that committee. Donald? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good step uh, going forward for women's rugby that. Um, we, we spoke about the referees the other the other week and we you know opportunities being created for them um this is a, a step in the right direction as well in management um to see that women are involved because they are re- they are the game has changed so much now it's not just a men's game only so it's it's very inclusive and and women are very much part of it so i think it's great that uh, we, we're seeing um, such opportunities being created for them agreed i can't see why they can't sit at that level. If you look at where women have been introduced to the game of rugby, and I'm not talking women's rugby, I'm talking men. You look at the, the, the physiotherapists that have gone with, you have doctors, mm-hmm. you, you name it. They are part of men rugby in any case. Um, and it's also nice, you know, the, the ladies are the creative people at the end of the day. And if you put someone like that in a position where they can bring something different to the table, and sometimes, you know, it's like yes. anything else, you look at any committee, if the same committee is elected year in and year out, you would probably find that that specific club or province will stagnate at one stage because mm-hmm. you're not going forward. So I think with the ladies' input at the end of the day, whether it's right or wrong, it's immaterial. It just throws something different in the works where, where you can have a look and maybe brainstorm around it. So, But I think we've, we've been talking ladies, we have been referees talking and whatever for weeks now on end, and I think it's absolutely brilliant for us. Yeah. It always brings a different angle, and and 
a different angle and a different point of view is always a good thing to have on the yeah, table. No, definitely, and I, I'm excited to, to see things like that change. Well, very well done to the ladies. Rasi Erasmus and Brian Abana has been appointed to the influential World Rugby Committee. That means that Rasi will join coaches from all over the world on a committee to influence the way that coaching in World Rugby will, will be looked at and managed going forward. And Brian Abana will be on the players' committee that will influence it the world rugby from a player's point of view. Donald, if I can ask you your comments on this. Yeah, I think it's great for, for South Africa, you know, like to have a voice in, in these committees. Um, you know, um, we these committees, world rugby committees, have been dominated mostly by uh, Northern Hemisphere, you know, uh, teams and or, or, or countries. The, and it's good to to get a southern hemisphere voice in that and and we 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 play a different kind of uh, a game and and um Russ is an astute coach we know that he's, he's he's just we look and see how he masterminded us winning the world cup and uh you bring uh, invaluable um um experience into that committee and which might be good for for how they, they they look at it with Southern Hemisphere's eyes for, for a change. I think if you have a look at all the names that are there from a player's perspective and coach's perspective, then that is probably not taking away from the ones that haven't been nominated, but that group there is phenomenal coaches and phenomenal players that have that have dedicated years to the game. And it's always nice to see... It's like us coaching after playing. It's always nice to see these guys giving back to to, to rugby, to the rugby world. Mm. Um, but I think if I can mention Rasi, I mean, he, in theory, I know he's been coaching for a long time. He was at Munster, obviously at the Cheetahs before he left and that. But for a coach of his uh, capabilities, only to, to be selected to go to this only after a year and a half to two years in charge of the Springboks, I think, speaks yes. volumes yeah, of definitely. him. The others yeah. are all, I think, if I'm not mistaken, all retired coaches that are on there. Well, it's Eddie Jones and then um, Steve Henson. He's one yes, of the coaches so there. Other right? than Eddie, I think the yeah. rest are all, all retired. But, but you're talking about World Cup winning coaches. World and lost. Mm. And he's, a, he's, a, he's an astute coach, but... He, with respect to him now, he's also young in it from an international point of view. Yes, true. Yeah. Where the others mm. have been there for, I mean, we're talking Eddie Jones now, he masterminded our downfall in the previous World Cup when he was at Japan. Yes. But he was part of the Springboks, he was part of Australia. Mm -hmm. So Eddie Jones, current coach, a world coach in many, many areas of it, where Russia has, has been selected to, to take part in that specific panel. Only after call it two years of, of being South Africa coach, and I think yeah. it's great. It's great for mm -hmm. South African rugby. At the well, to have two voices at at these committees, on these mm -hmm. committees, and to talk, um, and to talk to these committees and 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 bring the South African plight to them, mm -hmm. is is phenomenal. Definitely. We haven't we haven't had that much say in world rugby yeah. in the past. That's great, and I'm and mm -hmm. I'm excited, and it's and makes one proud to be South African. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Then making us proud, being South African, Werner Koch and Peter Steff de Tui has been nominated as Player of the Decade. Mark? Yeah, and it's exciting. They, they, it's going to be tough, and we need the, the listeners to go online and vote for them because it's a voting process as well. Yes. Um, Werner Koch, obviously, is close to home. He now plays for the Sharks. Peter Steff de Tui is an ex-Shark. Um, so from a from a sharks point of view, it's great to see them there. But from an international point of view, I think it's 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 brilliant and and well deserved. I mean, you know, Peter Steftetoy is is world player of the year. Um, he's shown over the last few years what he's capable of, whether he plays at flank or at lock. I mean, he's playing at at flank now, which is obviously not accustomed to him, but he's one of your world's best locks. I mean, flanks at the moment. Um, Werner Koch, from a sevens point of view, he's like an energized bunny. 
He never stops. His work ethic is phenomenal. So um, yeah, let's let's hope they stand a, they stand a good chance. But they're up against it because there's some world class players it's that have been nominated true. too. Yeah, uh, Peter Steff for me, um, you know, he's he's been outstanding. He's he's really. I I'd, um, I don't know if you've been watching that um, Chasing the Sun uh, documentary. Who is Donald? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, he, uh, uh, his interview, one of his interviews, there, he was saying, as a little boy, he was lying down, watching the skies and yes. dreaming of being, you know. This is exactly what he's talking about. Look at the accolades he's being now uh, given to, you know, or nominated for. And you can see that's from being a child, a little boy, his desire, his hunger, he's put everything into it. He's well-deserved, I think. We we, we spoke about positional play and we, we spoke about being born into that position. And, yeah, you're actually talking about a player that's born into that jersey. He, he wanted that jersey from day one. Exactly. When he was a little kid. Yeah. Yes. Then Bristol on standby for the Premiership final. Mark? That's exciting for them. Um, you know, if, if you look at where they come from, they haven't won much over the last few years. Um, they on standby, obviously, to to play in the fi- in the final, possibly, um, if Wasps withdraw due to COVID issues, um, be- and they and they lost in the semi final, obviously. So with with COVID coming into play, they might they might go into the finals, and 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 good for them. I mean, they've they've played some awesome rugby. Um, new coach, obviously, that is there that has taken the club to to different heights, and and you know. I think their coach said that they are ready for the final if if that decision is made. Um, I think it's difficult probably mm-hmm. to prepare not knowing whether you're going to go into a final or not because obviously they aren't in the final until was withdraw. Um, and for them then to win it would be absolutely phenomenal from a preparation point of view and a mindset point of view. Yes. But um, as the coach said, they are prepared, they are ready to go and like they did in the in the weekend that's gone by to to win mm. the other tournament, they might surprise the, mm. the opposition. Yeah, taking into consideration on Friday they won the European Cup Correct. challenge. Yes. Yeah. So um, they've been playing really good rugby. Yes. Risky though. No, no, it's 100%. scary rugby they play. It's <laughs> but I mean that's it's it's Marcos kind of game. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I mean they, they run from everywhere. That, that, that would give them. A lot of a lot of confidence. I yeah. mean, but if you look at some of their players that they have, I mean, they have some incredible players themselves. Mm. You know, but they obviously by winning that final yes. would give them quite a bit of confidence to know that they can actually play. And I mean, they, they their coach said it in the week. They are not scared to go and prove what they can do mm. when they if they do go to the final. And good for them. And then talking about finals, Mr. Nigel Owen at Probably one of his his worst ends to a game. Would you like to elaborate on that, Mark? <laughs> it was quite interesting um, in the game between Exeter and, and Racing 92. Right at the end, in injury time, Exeter had a kick at goal and Nigel Owens asked the timekeepers to adjust the time because obviously there was a delay in something. So in the interim... Between them trying to adjust the time and re-kick off, there was a there was a time slot difference. So Racing 92 believed that they could actually kick off again, and Nigel Owens wasn't sure because he asked them to to obviously manipulate the time because of the incident. So what the ruling is, if the final whistle goes before the ball goes over the crossbar, then you kick off again. If the ball had gone over the crossbar already and the whistle had gone, then obviously it doesn't work like that. So what had happened here was because of the time difference, Racing 92 believed they could kick off and they were waiting on the halfway line to kick off. Where Exeter, on their side, they obviously thought it didn't happen. So Nigel Owens had to then ask the timekeepers to clarify. And there was a heated discussion between Nigel Owens and the timekeepers as to what had actually happened. And the timekeeper said to him, in theory, 
the game was over. And he was quite animated himself to say he doesn't want to hear anything. Yes, he doesn't want to hear anything about theory. Give me fact. Mm -hmm. And then they had to make a call to say the the game was over. So obviously by that Exeter was crowned champions, where they beat Racing 92, 31 points to to 27. What was also great about that game, other than this the specific scenario, is that we had a, a South African in that team. Well, two of them. Jenkins and um, and Jacques uh, Vermeulen, Jacques Vermeulen. Mm. Um, ex Sharks player. Yes, yeah. he's uh, yeah. and he's actually uh, he's an ex Sharks player. As Donald was saying, plays played flanks for the flank for the Sharks, and he himself, over the period of of playing for Exeter, has had a phenomenal season. Um, and it was good to see some South African mm. flavour mm. part of that mix up. But all credit to to the referee who wants to be a referee in a, in a game like that, specifically in a final where Racing 92 believe they could actually mm -hmm. kick off and, and possibly gain those those points back. And yes. Nigel Owens, the good referee that he is, made a point of it uh, and said that's it, it's over mm -hmm. and done. And over I and think he did yeah. it very professionally. Mm -hmm. So well done to him. That is yeah. why in the in the November test, as we spoke a few weeks ago, Nigel Owens will become the first referee to ref in his 100th test match. He's yes. a great referee. Well, well done to him, but not so well done to the timekeepers, though. Yeah, unfortunately, but I think that's, mm. those are things that, you know, it, as, as people yes. are watching it, we don't really know what is happening. Um, and, and more so, like Racing 92 now, they look at the scoreboard yeah. and they see there's time, time left. So they, being a final, more so, mm. they would obviously fight their cause. Mm, um, so one, one doesn't know what happened when they, when they walked off the field. <laughs> so I think there's lots of heated discussion there. And, and maybe... Maybe in the professional game, that is something that one needs to have a look at to say how you're going to eliminate yeah. that going forward, similar to the soccer where um, they say if the ball crossed in goal, then it's a, and then it's a goal and you need to put a camera there and so forth. But technology has developed so much now already that, that this whatever happens should never happen. Yes, true. Not in a game like that. I'm sure the media in France is having a field day over this. I can imagine. <laughs> similar to... The media in New Zealand that's having a field day because we withdrew out of the championship. Yes, definitely. Thank you. In that, uh, Donald, Marco, thanks for joining us in studio. Looking forward to touching base with you guys again in the, in the near future. Marco, all the best for you as the season starts and you guys go back to training. Donald, with you and the Varsity Shield, when you guys get going again, all the best for that and... Um, Keep flying the, the Durban flag high. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I've enjoyed uh, our chats here. It's been uh, quite enlightening for myself as well. And uh, I hope the listeners enjoyed uh, the topics that we sure discussed. Sure they did. I think mm. they're going to miss your voice. Donald, thank you very much for joining us again. Thank you for all your insight, for all your, your knowledge and sharing your knowledge with us. Um, it was definitely insightful for me. I learned Thanks, a Gus. great deal from you. Thank you. Marco, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, thanks for your input and all the best for you going forward. Then from myself, Kasper Els, Mark Cameron, thank you for joining Touchline and may you have a great rugby week.